Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 110 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? First thing I want to do is in the last couple of weeks, I've had some people sign up to the Patreon and um, send me actually some donations via PayPal and I want to thank everybody who's done that. Um, when I was in IBMA, I got to talk to a whole bunch of podcasters, and it, it's a lot of work, and it's really I really appreciate all the listens and everything, and, and anytime anybody can make a donation, it really does help out uh, with everything. So thank you so much. And I've got two Patreon uh, levels right now, but I think I'm going to add a couple lower ones as well. I have a $4 one, which is just kind of like a, uh, a thank you sort of thing, and I have an $8 one, which has a ton of videos and stuff, but I haven't been able to update those since January because life's just so crazy, man. And Playing hundreds of gigs a year and now getting ready to travel with these Tom Petty gigs, just don't have time to put out quality content on there. So I think I'm going to do like a $1 and a $2 donation on the Patreon as well that you can sign up for, or you can just email me at danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com, and you can do a PayPal donation as well through that email address. But I just really want to thank the people who've done that. I really appreciate it. It really makes a makes a huge difference in doing this. And um, but mostly, I just want to thank all the listeners. I'm just overwhelmed uh, every week by the the amount of people who listen, by the messages people send, and the recommendations. So thank you guys so much. I really I can't really tell you how much it means a lot. So. Thank you for doing this. Um, real quick, before we get into this interview with Harry Clark, he wanted me to mention he's also on Bronwyn Keith Hines' album, which is just stellar, man. So go check that out. He's also on uh, the new Rick Ferris album, and Rick just uh, dropped two new singles today. One's got Ronnie McCurry on it, I believe. So go out there and check those out. And um, and don't forget, too, in, in just a few weeks here, that Modern Mandolin Camp is taking place. It's all virtual. I've had a few people mention that um, they wouldn't be able to attend it, but they're going to video archive these things so you'll have access to them. So even if you can't make it to the live classes, you can check them out online. So I would 100% check this out. I mean, the teachers, Matt Flinner, Maddie Whitler, David Benedict, Jake Jolliffe, Tristan Scroggins, Casey Campbell, Dominic Leslie, and a lecture from Mike Marshall. Dude, and killer killer merch so go check them out you can sign up for modernmandolin.org is where you would sign up and uh yeah it's going to be fantastic be sure to check that out also speaking to killer teachers peghead nation peghead nation offers some of the best courses in mandolin you're going to find uh beginners to to all the way up there to some theory Crazy chord melody stuff. The teachers are Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. High-quality video, multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, plenty of tunes and songs to play, and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and workshops. And check out their Instagram. It's killer. Glad to have Ear Trumpet Labs back on as a sponsor. Ear Trumpet Labs are celebrating 10 years of hand-building microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and have the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments, whether for a single source like mandolin or single miking a full string band. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. You've seen the mics. If you've never used one, you owe it to yourself to check it out. They just sound, they sound killer. I've used mine a bunch of the Myrtle, the blacked out Myrtle that they did special for October last year. Love it. And uh, Ellis Mandolins, hand built and designed in Austin, Texas. Tom Ellis is a heck of a guy. The whole crew over there at Ellis and Pava are fantastic. I really appreciate them. Let's get into this episode with Harry, everybody. What a great guy, great player. Really had a great time talking with him. So, as always, I'm on the Instagram and the Facebooks. And mandolinsbeer.com, you can go there and get the notes for this. There's links to everything Harry talks about uh, that you can just click on and go follow his bands, East Nashgrass, The Wooks, Instagram, Facebook. And also, I've got listed out the songs that are sampled throughout this podcast. Go out and buy those albums, everybody. Have yourselves a great week, and cheers. Thank you for listening.
All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Harry Clark. Harry, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going pretty good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you uh, for taking the time to do the podcast today. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. So we've officially met for the first time at IBMA a few weeks ago, and man, your sets with East Nash Grass and the Wooks were just incredible. As a matter of fact, I think we saw East Nashgrass. We had, went and saw y'all twice. And oh, cool, uh, man. man, this is just such a good time. And what I love about the Wooks is like, it's great players with really great songs, which makes it, you know, that, that, that says something about a band, I think, when they have really cool tunes. Yeah, that's, uh, well, appreciate that. And that's kind of one of the things that, uh, you know, before I was ever in the Wooks, uh, that was one of the things that kind of drew me to their music. I was like, man, these guys are writing cool songs. Yeah, you know, Bluegrass has, there's so many crazy good young pickers right now. But, um, you know, the, the songwriting scene, it's strong, but uh, always want more songs, you know. For sure. And they're, and they're like story songs, you know, as something like you, you want to listen to the lyrics because it seems like it's taking you somewhere where you want to, you want to see where it goes, you know, it's like interesting content yeah for sure um cj kane the guitar player in the wooks is kind of a a master at writing those story songs he's he's something else that's great and you guys also had i would say as far as like those showcase shows that uh the the show i think it was maybe wednesday night tuesday night or wednesday night i, I would say that was the most attended showcase show that i went to um for oh, all wow. those days man you guys had a great crowd there at that was it the lincoln theater is that what the name of it was uh yeah i believe so yeah yeah the lincoln yeah it was a lot of fun yeah man you guys yeah you could get great live band well thanks man yeah uh, absolutely. It's, a, it's a hoot always yeah and you have a new album that's going to be coming out it's recorded but all the details are still are still uh being worked out for release dates and all that good stuff yeah, I'm still even uh, learning about new details of, of when it's going to be released. I'm not 100% clued in, but uh, it's part of the fun. Are y'all doing it independently as the the release? Yeah, we are. Uh, the Wooks actually kind of have their own label uh, called Narvector that uh, CJ and uh, original member uh, Arthur Hancock started when they first put this band out. And so we're putting it out under the Narvector label. Nice. I mean, it must be working because you guys had uh, your last album, Glory Bound, debuted at number two on the Billboard Bluegrass charts. Oh, yeah. That was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. She paints a scene just like a peaceful dream. She's tanning olive green. She's the prettiest girl I've seen. I love me some of that little yeah, we were all pretty pumped about it. I bet. So as soon as um, all the details worked out, I'll definitely, when you guys have a, the first single for this album, let me know, and I'll I'll definitely debut uh, a, a song on this podcast for people to check out because I'm really excited. You guys played a lot of tunes off that album at the at the show, and they're just great songs. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, it's kind of the first time I've recorded any any songs that I've actually written. Um, and uh, yeah, it's mostly original stuff on the album. So. That's great, man. Yeah, well, congrats, super. dude! I can't wait to hear it. Super excited, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, man. So, how in the heck did you get get into playing mandolin? Oh, let's see here. So, uh, I grew up in a, uh, a family. There were four kids, and I'm the second. Uh, I have an older brother that's a great guitar player, and he's been playing guitar since he was probably nine. And uh, he started taking guitar lessons uh, from this like church youth group minister, who, uh, who my mom somehow knew. And um, I wanted to try playing guitar, too. I'd always wanted to play something. Uh, so I was about six at the time. And uh, I went to these guitar lessons, but my my hands were too, uh, too T-tiny to fit around <laughs> the, the guitar neck. And so I couldn't quite do it. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I fooled around with the drums for a while, but never really got into it. Um, then my family moved to a town uh, in central Arkansas where I spent most of my time. 
uh, growing up. And there was a uh, there was a music professor at the college there named Chuck Hicks, and uh, ended up getting up with him. And at the time, I was more interested in playing fiddle or banjo. I'd kind of like gotten into Irish music, and uh, I was really interested in playing fiddle or banjo. But I ended up going to him, and he was like, "Your hands are the right size to play mandolin." And I took a lesson, learned three chords, and uh, and really got hooked. And uh, I was still into Irish music, but uh, that Christmas, a few months later, my dad took me and my brother as a gift to go see uh, Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder. Yeah, man, and I was absolutely blown away because Ricky was just shredding and uh, his whole band shredded. And, you know, he put the mandolin down and Andy left, which was in the band at the time, and he'd pick the mandolin up and also just just wear it out. So I'd never seen or heard anything like that. And uh, that really got me hooked on bluegrass for sure. Was your with your parents there was a, a musical family? Uh, you know, on my mom's side of the family, there was a lot of singing. Uh, my mom played a little piano. But they, uh, you know, they're like Southern Missionary Baptist folks, and uh, they're all about singing. And so there's a lot of singing on both sides. My dad's side of the family, he had a grandpa who was uh, very much so like a a poet and uh, a singer and would play like harmonica and stuff like that. But there wasn't like a whole lot of uh, musical instruments going on in the family. Oh, no kidding. How did you get how did you get turned on to Irish music? That's an interesting thing for a kid to get into. Yeah, I don't even know, man. I think uh, I think I was probably really into Lord of the Rings at the time. I was like nine or ten, and really gotten into that. And it seemed to go hand in hand with it. And uh, I kind of, on my dad's side, my grandma kind of has an eccentric taste in uh, in the arts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I probably went through one of her CD collections and found some stuff like that that probably had some mandolin and fiddle and you know penny whistle and stuff like that. It was really, uh, I don't know, it was really hitting the spot. At that age, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you 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 get the mandolin. What do you start listening to and learning? Well, I'd uh, I'd been turned on to like the Oh Brother Art Thou records, and uh, of course Ricky Skaggs. I've got a couple of his records at the show, and was really listening to that. And uh, you know, I've been taking mandolin lessons for probably a year. Um from this guy chuck hicks and then one day i went in he was like hey listen to this and he puts on uh that album so long so wrong oh yeah the allison krauss album and it's uh you know adam steffi was playing on it and to this day it's still like some of the most epic mandolin tone i've ever heard like man i wonder how uh how a guy gets that kind of sound out of a mandolin and it turns out uh, no one can really make a mandolin sound like adam <laughs> does but uh i tried tried for a long time and also like i got turned on to uh, uh chris Thiele's like the stuff he did with nickel creek and and uh that was that was pretty hot but also i really dug like the um you know, so on that Oh Brother Art Thou album, there's uh, Mike Compton's playing on it. Right. And it's so rhythmic and awesome, and that really caught my ear. And I really like the sound of, uh, you know, I think the last track on that album is uh, the Stanley Brothers doing Angel Band. And I'm not sure if it's Pee Wee Lambert playing mandolin. I'm not sure who it is playing mandolin. But it's just got this epic tremolo intro that's like really high up on the neck. And uh, that kind of got me more interested in uh, in the traditional stuff over over time. There was a phase where it was like I didn't want to hear anything but 
but the new stuff, which is awesome. And I still like hearing new modern man on players, new approaches and stuff. But, uh, I mean, there's always been a, a special spot for the, uh, kind of just that raw traditional, like, you know, kind of, there's, there's some rough edges around it that, that are very real and heartfelt. So yeah, it's something about the vibe of it. You know, there's just like a feel that you really can't. It's tough to emulate. I mean, it's pretty rare to hear anything kind of new. Um, yeah. You know, although I don't think maybe some of the stuff that's new is really even trying to emulate it. You know, I think there's sure certainly formulaic sort of stuff out there. But you know, I think the uh, the Wooks do a Wooks Wooks <laughs> the Wooks Jesus the Wooks do a. Uh, <laughs> A really good job on the recordings, um, especially on Glory Bound. I think there's something about it that gives it a little bit of that, like that raw sound that, you know, I, just gives it a really, um, I don't know, like a raucous feel, I guess, would maybe be yeah. what I'm thinking there, which I really, really enjoy. At the time on that album, it was uh, it was just a bunch of Kentucky and West Virginia guys. And then me uh, being from Arkansas, but those Kentucky guys, you know, it's 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 even in the way they talk you just can't really fake that sound it's <laughs> right. going to come through yeah and and i really appreciate the fact that they don't you know they don't try to like hide that sound at all they just kind of embrace it and go with it and but also or you know they they write stories that are uh that are kind of timeless some new stories some old stories but uh that's what really drew me in and i think that's what's really got me like drawn me into bluegrass is uh because i remember probably the first time i did hear the stanley brothers uh as a little kid on some like late night bluegrass radio station it it reminded me of like my mom's side of the family it just like hearing them sing reminded me of uh just like because on my mom's side of the family it's a bunch of just like old sharecroppers from the uh the ozark foothills and like yeah, and so it's just kind of something about the sound of that resonated with me, and it sounded familiar, and it, you know, it, it really struck a a uh, a nerve as far as like uh, I don't know, <laughs> kind of my my history goes. It was just like I would expect to see those guys at at like a, a family reunion, you know, just the way they sounded, you know. Some magic of music somewhere just finds yeah, some sort real. of weird root in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It, it was, a. Uh, it's just been special ever since. <laughs> now, did you go to school for music or anything along those lines? You were taking lessons from a, a college professor or was it a professor you said? Yeah, no, actually. Uh, so I was, uh, I was homeschooled my whole life. And, um, and then like pretty much right out of high school, I took a I took a job playing guitar with a band called the Roy's and it was a brother and sister who were um, they'd kind of tried the country thing out for a while and then they decided to give bluegrass a whirl and they were um, they were kind of touring on that southeastern uh, bluegrass circuit kind of Midwest bluegrass circuit and uh, so when I was like a month before I turned 18, I joined that band and started traveling on the road. That's it, that's interesting because I remember I, I knew you from your or your name from being a mandolin player. But then at one point when I watched like an East Nashgrass live stream, you're playing guitar like a like a badass as well. <laughs> and I'm like, what? wait a minute. <laughs> so, yeah. And then you've just gone back to playing um, mandolin. In East well, man, yeah. Yep. Mandolin's kind of been my first love. And uh, I was I was raring to get out and do something when I was about 18. And I, you know, my brother's a great guitar player. So I'd learned a lot of things from him. And he was actually the guitar player in this band, the Roy's before me. And he quit and was like, they're auditioning people. So I was like, man, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I, uh, yeah, got the record and learned the chords and learned a couple of phony rice licks, you know, <laughs> yeah. learned about five of them that I could insert. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, ended up doing it, moved to Nashville. Uh, yeah. Right after the day after I turned 18, moved to Nashville. Wow. Get yeah. out of here. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's great. So did, have you stayed in Nashville? Did you ever move back at all or was it? I've, I've done a lot of moving around. I mm -hmm. stayed in Nashville for about a year and uh, then I quit that band and joined a band called Volume 5. 
yeah, bluegrass band. It's kind of a, they've been around for a minute and, uh, I, uh, I'd, I'd really been wanting to play mandolin again. So I moved back home to Arkansas and found out that, that uh, that band was looking for a mandolin player and somehow got in touch with the, uh, the lead singer and fiddle player of the band, Glenn Harrell. And ended up, I think I ended up driving down from Nashville to, uh, Jekyll Island to meet up with them in audition. Oh, wow. Jekyll Island's a cool place. Yeah, you know, they have that bluegrass festival down there, the New Year's Bluegrass Festival, I believe. So I drove down there and did that, and uh, they had uh, they had Aaron Ramsey filling in on mandolin. Oh, he's a killer, uh, too. Man, so good. Yeah. Uh, one of the best chops around. But uh, he, uh, I'd known Aaron a little bit, and uh, he put in a good word for me with those guys. And, and yeah, I played with him for about four years. Wow, no kidding. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it was a great experience. Those guys are, are all good cats, and uh, I think some of the band members have changed since then. But, uh, but yeah, great experience. All those guys were, were super seasoned musicians. When you go into a, a band like Volume 5 for an audition, who's obviously got a huge amount of tunes and yeah. back catalog, how did you approach that? Did, were there certain tunes that you learned or they had you learn? Yeah, I kind of I kind of had talked to Glenn, and he had sent me basically – you know, some of their, their albums, the earlier albums. And it was like, here's some of the songs that we kind of focus in on. And so I kind of learned those tunes and had the chords. And luckily I didn't have to sing any parts or anything like that. Um, <laughs> Cause I might've been in a little bit of trouble there. But. <laughs> Did they stick to the songs too? I had an audition one time where they like, here, just learn this whole album. This is, we do pretty much this for the set. And then I went and played and it was like maybe one of those songs. <laughs> 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 I'm like, what? no, that would have been, that would have been awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, luck, lucky for me. No, it was, they pretty much stuck to the material and, and yeah, I was, I was definitely nervous. I, uh, but, uh, they were cool and yeah, ended up working out. What type of stuff were you working on as far as mandolin playing kind of in those in those eras of things or like when you go to volume five like where you where you focus on certain songs certain sounds or players at that point yeah i definitely was uh honestly probably for the up until i was about late 19 or early 20 i was i was pretty much a steffy disciple like that's that's what i wanted to do and i still love adam's playing so much he's super Super great player. Uh, I mean, one of the cleanest. Great tone. Yeah, it's I love un- it. It's unbelievable. It really is. It's it is. It, it kind of. I think what it was about his playing that really got me was kind of the the not really knowing how the hell he got his mandolin to sound that big and clear. And he sounds that way on any mandolin. Yeah, it's wild, man. He's a. <laughs> yeah. He's just he's just got crazy good tone, but um. Then I kind of started getting into uh, to more like rock music and electric guitarists like Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, Robert Cray and some guys like that. And there's a time where I was thinking, man, maybe I just want to play electric guitar. <laughs> sure. But that's that's when I really started also kind of like my ears started catching like what Sam Bush was doing and like what Ronnie McCurry was doing. And, you know, those guys really – play the blues on the mandolin they really uh and like uh mike compton you know they really uh they really are like rock gods on the mandolin mm-hmm. and what the best thing about them is all three of them have the same kind of roots and yeah. you can tell all three of them apart they all have their own sound it's yeah so cool yeah they really do and that's that's something else it's like i uh i kind of noticed you know there's all these guys who uh who are great players, you know, awesome players, but it's, it's kind of like they, they just want to sound like this one guy and are cool with that. And that's cool. You know, I love like, there's so many great banjo players who sound just like crow, which is awesome. It's badass, but at the same time, it's like, you know, crows already sounded like crow the most. (laughs) No one, no one's going to sound more like crow than crow. Yeah. Yeah. He's the most crow. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I was like, I'd gotten to the point where I was like, man, I'm never going to sound like Adam ever, no matter how hard I try. I was like, maybe I can just kind of like have more of my own sound. And I was realizing that all my favorite mandolin players, you know, they sounded like them. They weren't trying to be anyone else. 
And so it kind of helped me let go of some, uh, <laughs> some, uh, some of my, I don't know, my own musical baggage. And it was just like, let's just play like what you want to play like, you know? You have a very cool, a very like interesting right hand technique too, which we'll we'll get to in a bit. But it's very just very relaxed, man. You know, for oh, cool. for especially in stays that way when even when songs are uh, chugging along there, you know. And I think that's a battle that a lot of people have a hard time, myself included. Like, oh, dude, me too. I'm still I'm still trying to figure out how to how to not tense up, you know, when it's <laughs> when it's trucking along. It's it's easy to do, and you know, handle, and you just don't have that much range as far as like, you know, the travel between strings. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, man. They start squeezing the pick and, you know, just like, but yeah, I was watching you and I'm like, God dang it. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to go and sit around and just play super smooth with my right hand when I get back to the Airbnb tonight. <laughs> so yeah, it was great, man. Well, thanks, man. So how do you find yourself into the Wooks? Was that after, was that right after volume five? Yeah, uh, well, kind of. So I'll start, I'll go back to like when I was playing with the Roys. Um, I met, uh, I met this dude who was kind of this crazy, uh, crazy, awesome singing banjo playing wild man from Kentucky who was running a bar. His name's Arthur Hancock. And, uh, I played guitar up there and you know, I was really into Tony Rice, still am, still love Tony. And Arthur's a real big, like, Tony fan. You know, he could tell that I was into a Tony, and we started talking. And, uh, you know, Arthur Arthur is a great banjo player. He didn't play anymore. He's been having right-hand troubles. But he's a great banjo player, great rhythm guitar player, and uh, a great singer and songwriter. But he had this uh, this bar where he'd book, you know, traveling acts to come play called Willie's Locally Known in Lexington, Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, I just met him passing through playing that gig. And, uh, he always stayed in touch. Like I'd get a text like every 11 to 13 months from him, just, (laughs) just saying, come party in Kentucky. I was like, I don't know what this dude's talking about, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but he, he always seemed fun and I'd see him every now and again at a festival and talk to him. And was like, man, this dude's really cool. So, uh, I uh I'd quit volume five and moved back to Arkansas for like a year. And then I um you know, went to Arkansas, made pizzas in the, the pizza kitchen for a while, uh in Little Rock, Arkansas. I got burnt out on that and uh moved back to Nashville. I've got a gig playing guitar and mandolin with this lady named Donna Ulysses, who's a songwriter here in town. And uh at that time too, Jenny Lynn Gardner, who's a awesome mandolin player. Oh yeah. Yeah, she uh, she was doing Della May, the band that she was in, and kind of taking a little bit of a hiatus, and uh, she was doing her own shows, and so you know she was playing a lot of cool places, had some cool people in the band, and uh, I ended up playing guitar with her for about a year, and uh, it was kind of right at the end of playing with her, um, I was just like, man, you know, I love playing guitar, but mandolin's really what I want to do, and I was just trying to like you know, kind of get work to pay the bills and just keep playing, you know, whatever I had to do, guitar, bass, or mandolin. But uh, I went out to IBMA in 2017 with her and uh, saw Arthur there and uh, was talking to him. He's like, yeah, we're looking for a mandolin player. It's like, you know anyone that's interested? And I was like, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I might be. And, uh, you know, went on for a while. And anyway, he ended up hitting me up like, Months or two later, I was like, yo, do you know anyone interested? And I was like, man, I think I might be interested because I'd heard of their music. I, you know, I'd been kind of following Arthur for a while. And I know who some of the other dudes in the band were. CJ Kane, the guitar player. I saw him in the uh, the bluegrass circuit. He was playing with Katie Penn in Newtown. And so I kind of knew who CJ was, and I'd known Arthur for a while. And uh, I ended up, I think they were passing through Nashville, and they stopped at my house, and I kind of did a quick audition. And I just kind of hit it off with everyone in the band. The rest is history. And the 432 sessions, was is that in your time with the Wooks or was that before? Man, that was kind of like uh, in between. I think I had just, uh, it, it might have been like a year before I quit Volume 5. 
Um, what about, can you tell me a little bit about that? The four thirty two sessions? Yeah, I'd love to. So it was basically, uh, it was it was kind of my my brother's brainchild. He's always been into the uh, the four thirty two sound. You know, the instruments tuned a little bit lower, and uh, you know, I don't I don't know what all there is to the four thirty two sound. There's some people who are like you know, really into the voodoo behind it. Right, right. I, don't, I don't know anything about that. It was just kind of like, all right, we'll do it. And uh, so the whole re- record is recorded in 432 instead of 440. So the frequency is a little lower. Yeah, so if anybody's listening to this and has no idea what that means, like when you tune your mandolin, if you tune the A string, the uh, the frequency you tune the A string traditionally um, yeah. would be 440 on your tuner. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to tune 432, you would have to change your tuner to 432 and then change, then tune your mandolin again. And so it's like a lower frequency that's supposed to resonate to people's souls. The, the vibe the, yeah. is some, like, some sort of human vibration sound or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like the earth is apparently like <laughs> vibrating at 432 hertz or whatever. I don't know how the hell you know that. But but uh, anyway, so my brother had uh, had hollered at some dudes. Jeff Parton, who's a great dobro and bass player, played bass on it. Um, he plays dobro with Rhonda Vincent right now. Um, Corey Walker played banjo on it, uh, who's just a great banjo player and one of my good buds here in Nashville. Um, yeah, my brother played guitar on it. I had a couple different fiddle players. Uh, a guy named John Mylander, who's a great fiddle player. Oh, he's killer. Yeah, amazing. Just like creates so many crazy colors with his playing. He played on some of it. Uh, I think he played on like the. Uh, we recorded a couple of Tony Rice's more kind of like space grass style tunes. Yeah, Gasology, he, I think, is one, right? Yeah, Gasology and Old Grey Coat. And I believe he played on those. And then we had a guy named Brian McDowell, who's kind of just plays everything equally as well. He's just a master at everything. And then a buddy of mine, Stephen Burwell, it's a great fiddle player uh, from from Washington. Uh, he lives in East Tennessee now. And uh, yeah, Jake Stargell recorded it and kind of helped produce it, along with this guy named uh, Zeke Salyer. I can't even say his last name. But Zeke, he's a great dude. We recorded it at this old... It was like this old country bluegrass music venue in Georgia. Oh, wow. It was like an auditorium. Yeah, I guess there was a time back in the day where uh, people would just set up like pole barns, basically, or like kind of like big, you know, four-walled shops and make basically uh, make two or, you know, stadiums. They they just make a stadium. And uh, someone was passing through like Bill Monroe or some country music star they'd stop in here and they'd sell out the place and but anyway we ended up setting up in uh in one of these old kind of like bluegrass stadiums <laughs> <laughs> yeah it might have been a chicken house at one point in time i'm not sure <laughs> but it was really cool it had a cool vibe and we recorded it in there and uh yeah um we've uh it's you know i sang i sang on it it's the first time singing on a record and uh and yeah the rest is kind of kind of history, you know. Was was recording Glory Bound a uh, different studio sort of situation? Was it like a big studio or was it totally um it was it was different. It was uh it was equally as grassy as we like to say. Um, <laughs> it was actually recorded at Ricky Wasson's studio in Clay City, uh, Kentucky. And uh if you don't know Ricky, Ricky was JD Crow's last uh guitar player and lead singer. Uh, he's just a phenomenal singer, man, uh, and bluegrass guitar player. Uh, he's just like all the good parts of, of uh, Tony Rice and uh, Larry Sparks bundled into one. Yeah, and uh, so he's got a studio that is set up in the back of his uh, his pawn shop slash bluegrass store. 
Oh, nice, man. Yeah, and it's kind of epic. It's kind of unassuming. You'd like walk into his pawn shop and he's got all this, you know, like old stereos he's pawning or some old Blue Ridge guitars and, you know, maybe some fishing poles, maybe maybe a couple shotguns. And then you go through this back door and there's just this epic studio he's built. And, uh, yeah, we just recorded there, I guess. Um, I guess Arthur had known uh, Ricky through uh arthur's dad has been kind of in the kentucky music scene for years and um yeah just recorded over there and of course i was kind of awestruck because i'd been listening to ricky on jd's albums and watching him at shows for years and uh it was, it's pretty cool to get to hang out with him and it was a uh you know the 432 album we recorded in this kind of smaller section uh, just one room all sitting around in a circle where we could all see each other. Then, you know, the way we recorded at Ricky's studio, we were all sectioned off kind of in our own booths. So def- definitely a different recording style, but equally as fun. And you've also just recorded um, with my guest two weeks ago, Rick Ferris, which um, you were on his last album and you're on his newest album that is coming out too. Yeah, we recorded those over at uh, Dark Shadow recording studio steven mojan is running it in hendersonville tennessee both those albums were cut there and then so. maddie denton and maddie is in east nashgrass in the dan Tominsky band and i got to see her live for the first time with the east nashgrass uh twice and wow <laughs> yeah man maddie the baddie she's a <laughs> that's the perfect nickname holy cow Yeah, man, she's uh she's crazy. She's so intense on that fiddle and just like owns it big time. And she'd won a uh, bunch of like contests, which again you wouldn't notice not because she wasn't phenomenal. Like it makes total sense that she won a bunch of contests, but she's mm-hmm. much more like aggressive and uh, soulful than you would expect somebody who might have sat around for years just like honing in on winning contests. You know what I mean? And she's just killer. Yeah killer yeah. player yeah she's amazing man she can uh she can kind of do it all when i first met her she was uh I, I think i met her in smithville tennessee and um she was you know she was doing the fiddle contest out there and uh i was i was like in a camper somewhere like not far from the stage and uh there's a radio station that you can tune into and listen to the contest as it's happening and she gets up and plays like this, I don't know, Tom and Jerry, some Texas fiddle tune where she's just giving it hell and really digging into it. And then the next tune, she tunes down and uh, and plays an old-time, like, cross-tune version of uh, the Blackest Crow. Oh, wow. That, that kind of slow waltz, you know? Yeah. And um, I was like, man, I don't know who that is, but that's crazy that they can kind of change their style up just like that. And then the announcer's like, that's Maddie Denton. and I was like, oh wow. So yeah, Maddie's Maddie's great, man. Uh she's uh you know, and she got into bluegrass not too long ago. She's relatively new to playing bluegrass, but you wouldn't really know it by listening to her. Melted the place down every break she took. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I thought was really cool too, um, you were at the trade show portion of of the uh IBMA and one of the things I jotted down and which now talking to you, I would love to get some advice for people who listen to this because you're like, oh, I'm getting ready to go to play with this band that I've never really played with. And I don't know any of the songs, <laughs> you know, and then I went over and like watched a little bit and you would never know that you had never played with this band or weren't familiar with many of the songs. And, you know, what's what's kind of the mindset? What are some of the things that you worked on in your history that allows you to go up and fit right in? in a situation like that and what's something that people can work on. Yeah. You know, just kind of, uh, I don't know. We, we did run those tunes before we got up and played them. Uh, I played with Lori King and her husband, Joe. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just, just going with it and accepting the fact that, 
that it's okay to just kind of fall on your face, <laughs> you know, Sure. which, which I do plenty of times, but it's also fun and kind of a challenge to get up and play some new music with people and, and kind of, uh, I don't know. It's just exciting. I've always, I've always enjoyed, uh, the, uh, you know, kind of the improv aspect of, of music. And, uh, I don't know, sometimes the most fun you can have is playing a song you've never really played before, especially <laughs> if it's behind a singer, you know, where it's, uh, where you can interpret the melody a little bit easier than just like a, a set tune, you know? Yeah. That was my, are you listening for something when you're doing those tunes? Cause again, like you said, you run those songs, but like you literally, I heard you guys, it was maybe 10 minutes before the show, right? Maybe 30 minutes <laughs> that you ran those yeah. songs. It's not like you guys sat around for a week. I mean, you were like <laughs> behind a curtain at IBMA because I could hear you guys practicing. And I'm like, yeah, I got to ask about, you know, doing this sort of thing. Yeah. And then there's the, uh, the whole, you know, keep it simple, stupid thing. It's, I'm still learning. <laughs> and uh, it's like, sometimes I find that the, the better I do is the less I play. So it's uh, in situations like that. It really helps to just like, really lay back and take it easy you know play play like three notes (laughs) 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 tremolo over that (laughs) yeah man exactly (laughs) yeah just have fun you know just uh just don't worry about messing up because if uh if your brain is wired like me i don't know there's some people who just don't mess up you know there's some uh there's some crazy musicians who i just don't ever hear mess up it's amazing it's you know uncanny yeah, Gavin Largent's a great example of someone that I just don't think I've really ever heard him mess up. <laughs> and if he does, he just turns it into this like graceful, uh, you know, flip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. The fall and land on your feet. Ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some people just do that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just kind of tried to get over the, uh, still trying to get over the whole uh, having to play it perfectly every time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about that right hand and how you developed it too, because it's it, again like if some people go to YouTube and watch some videos, you've got a, a a different right hand technique than what you would see on some players. But it's it's the whole time it seems very consistently smooth. I would love to know yeah. how you worked on that. Well, for years I tried the whole plant my finger thing, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what Steffi was doing, you know. And it was like, well, then you have to do that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it just. It wasn't really working for me, and now I may still like set my fingers down a little bit, but I don't feel like I consistently plant my fingers. Uh, I think maybe the best right hand, my favorite right hand on a mandolin is Tim O'Brien. Yeah, um, that dude is so loose and just so uh, it's just rhythmic, you know. His every time he plays a, a lead or even his backup, it's just so so cool how uh, dancey it is. I guess his right hand dances. There's no like, there's no tension in that right hand. It is just loose. And, uh, he talks, he's put out a DVD and I'm not, I'm not even seeing the whole thing, but I've, I've kind of been told that his theory was, uh, you know, keep your right hand loose. Like you're shaking out a dish towel, you know, mm-hmm. and learn to play like that. And I've kind of taken that to heart and try to just like play loose and and uh i don't know i still tense up sometimes but the more loose i stay and the more like uh i really kind of got into playing more instead of playing a whole bunch of uh eighth notes i kind of got into like maybe playing more tremolo stuff and uh kind of more rhythmic solos i guess just uh just because that's how my hand functions better you know people People like Sierra Hall is a great example who's just like can play lightning fast, uh, like like single note stuff, you know, single string mandolin playing. Like I don't think anyone's better than her at playing that kind of stuff. And and she's got the perfect hands for it, man. They're like they're sleek and tiny, and my hands are just like you know, if you cut one of my hands off and weighed it, it probably weighs like eight pounds and it's fat old sausage fingers and i've just not got that uh you know i'm just not that nimble i'm (laughs) i'm a little bit clumsy so i think i've just tried to like you know blend my uh my natural clumsiness in with my playing and make it 
make it work sometimes, <laughs> you know, doesn't always work how I want it to, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, just trying to, trying to play what's, uh, what's natural, I guess. In both those bands, it was just like such a great time and, and just, you know, just great watching you. Everything sounded perfect for the songs. You know what I mean? Cool. Thanks, man. You know, you sing great too. That's, I mean, talking to you though, you can tell just by talking to you that you would sing killer. <laughs> you know, you got <laughs> like that perfect voice for that, man. Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, it's something I've really had to work on. And especially since, uh, you know, I joined the Wooks as just a mandolin player, I wouldn't really sing anything. Oh, no kidding. And then, uh, yeah, then Arthur Hancock, lead singer, he uh, he left the band. We didn't really know what we were going to do. And I'd been singing. I've kind of sang forever, but I was kind of like, man, I, I'd like to try to, you know, sing some of these songs. And uh, anyway, lo and behold, I kind of learned them all. And it's really forced me into to making the most out of my voice. And I think I got a lot of that, too. When I uh, there's a small amount of time I lived in Gatlinburg. Uh, Tennessee and played out at Old Smoky Moonshine Distillery. They have like a, you know, like daily bluegrass bands out there. There's a couple bands that are on rotation out there. And, you know, it's one of the only places I've ever been where you can go and play five, six days a week and have solid, consistent work playing bluegrass. And uh, when I was out there, that had me singing a lot. So it's something that it's, it's definitely taken me time to get comfortable with. Yeah. You've got great stage rapport too, man. You've, you're, uh, you're engaging, you know, which is another big thing that, you know, it makes the show go smoother when everybody's tuning as as you have to do in a bluegrass band and everyone has to do. <laughs> yeah, know, you got some you got some banter and, you know, you keep people engaged while that stuff's going on. I think that that really adds to the show part of it. Yeah, I think it helps to be really full of bull as well. <laughs> of course, man. That's yeah. what it's all about. <laughs> so it's really nice to have an outlet for that, you know, because there's not yeah. always a great outlet for it. Right. Yeah, yeah that's so perfect. Yeah. What, uh, let's talk a little bit about gear. Um, so what is – were you telling me that you have a, a new mandolin? Uh, yeah, so uh, recently I got a, uh, a mandolin from this fella named Matt Ruland who's originally from Memphis, but he lives out in Portland, Oregon now. And I've been hearing about his mandolins for a long time from several of my buddies. And, uh, you know, kind of been keeping a, an eye on his work, kind of watching it. And uh, last year, I, uh, I saw an A model come up for sale on the Mandolin Cafe uh, at Greg Boyd's House of Music. Oh, yeah. Out in Montana. And I called them up. And I guess they're the only place you can ever get one of his mandolins as far as a store. You can either get one direct from Matt, who's like on a five-year waiting list. He might not even be taking orders right now. Or you get one through uh, Greg Boyd. And I called up there about this A model, and they're like, man, we sold it within hours of having it at the store. But we have an F model that's commissioned for us. It'll be ready in, you know, two or three months. Oh, wow. And so I put I put a down payment on that. And uh, uh I also knew that uh, C.J. Lewandowski from the Poe Ramblin' Boys uh, had been talking about this guy's mandolin. He's had two of them, I think. And uh, I talked to C.J. about it. He was like, yeah, man, you should definitely get in on it. Matt, uh, Matt's a great builder. And so I uh, ended up talking to Matt a little bit and getting this mandolin. And uh, when it was done, it actually got lost in the mail. Oh, my God. For like for three months. What? Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was a, it was a, it was a dark time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It was. It was no one else's fault except the mail was just, you know, I guess the United States Post Office or Postal Service has been having a pretty hard time, and they just really got backlogged. And uh, and one day in like, I think he shipped it to me in like February, and let's see, February, uh, like. Like the end of May, beginning of June, I got a call and he was like, Hey, dude, it showed up. Mandolin is at Greg Boyd's. And uh, that mandolin had gone everywhere. It had been like Florida and then like sat in Memphis for a few weeks. <laughs> like, oh my God. It traveled all around. We'd lost the tracking on it, but it showed up and uh, I ended up getting it. Man, it's it's awesome mandolin. I love it. I really, uh, I really, really like it. I've had a lot of good mandolins, you know, but this one's probably my favorite that I've owned. And, uh, yeah, really, really dig it. Really cool mandolin. 
What are some other ones that you had before this, or what was your main one before this one? Uh, before this one, let's see. I've had a, I've had some, uh, I had a Callings actually that I got from Callings um, for maybe a year or two. It was a really good mandolin. Like Callings, they're, uh, I feel like they're, they're fit and finish, and just the stability of their product is pretty great. I'm, I don't feel like you're ever. I've never played a Callings that that didn't stay in tune didn't hold it set up well you know they're not the most like characteristic sounding mandolins but they're just solid and so i played a callings on the road for a while and then uh i've had a i played one of steve hines mandolins for a while he's a really great builder out of uh you know iowa and uh i had one of his had a few Northfields. i had a had a mandolin from this dude named james burnaby for a while that was a great mandolin and uh, I don't think he's building anymore. I don't one think of my buddies. he is either. Uh, I've kind of, but I've kind of landed on this ruling, man. I really like it. Oh, and, that's great. Uh, yeah, I think I'll probably hang on to it for a while. Nice. What's your live rig like? Live rig, man. I'm still trying to like get into the uh, the whole playing through a pickup thing. Yeah. You know, playing the bluegrass circuit, uh, the traditional bluegrass circuit, which I did for so long. It's like. If you're not playing through a microphone, then uh, you must not be from around here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's it's really I'm I'm uh, right now I'm playing through a a uh, let's see Grace Design uh, the Bix mm-hmm. and uh, that's and kind of using a uh, I used a K and K pickup for a while, but right now I have one called uh, uh, a Dazzo pickup. This guy named Teddy. I think it's Teddy Randazzo from uh, he's out in California somewhere. He makes them out of his garage. Oh, really? And it's it's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, he's it's a great pickup. Is it uh? Is it what kind of pickup is it? Is it transducers or bridge or? Uh, yeah. So it's the uh, it's kind of like the same idea as a uh, as the K and K, except the uh, I, I guess that's a trans a transducer, right? Yeah. Or is that a uh, okay? Kind of the same idea, but the shape is a little more like three-dimensional and according to him he says it, it kind of makes the tone more three-dimensional which i guess i kind of know what he means i don't know but I, I really like it it's the most natural sound and pickup i've used so far wow that's great man yeah always looking for more natural acoustic as we all are i think yeah and so i'm really uh i'm really digging it it's you know the k and k's are great too but this thing sounds a little more like a microphone to my ear wow yeah, it kind of rounds out some of the sound nice. a little better. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. What about uh, strings and picks and all that good nerdy stuff? S- strings and picks, man. I'm I'm so uh, AD, ADD about that kind of stuff. I change all the time. I've really been enjoying, as far as playing over a pickup, uh, Diodario, those nickel bronze strings that they're making right now. Really dig them. I switch back and forth from my gauges to medium to medium heavy. Uh, I really like the medium heavy because I kind of got a little bit of a heavy hand. I think it holds up a little better. And as far as picks go, I'm just a big fan of that uh, uh, Michael Wiegand. Oh, yeah. Man, his picks have always just kind of been my favorite. Um, I really like Tortoise Shell, but it, I tear it up and break it. And Yeah, it's too much we, work, man. Yeah, there's something about the uh, the the friction smoothness ratio of uh, the Wiegand picks is just right. Do you use the uh, bigger triangle or do you use like the guitar shape pick one? Yeah, honestly, the uh, bigger triangle is probably a little bit more conducive for me. A little more area to hang on to. <laughs> right, right. You got them like you literally heavy hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> heavy handed fool. Oh, that's so funny, man. How great was that Andrew Marlin show, by the way? Man, that was awesome. And that mandolin he was playing was uh, was crazy. It was pretty cool to get to see that. You know, I didn't go to the award show. And uh, a lot of people I knew were at the award show. And so it was kind of cool to just kind of go, I don't know, it felt almost like a secret show. Yeah. You know, I I don't remember what that venue was called, but it was super cool. And it was just, they were playing around one mic. It was just, I don't know. It was amazing. And just crazy to think like there were what, maybe 30 people there. Yeah. And he was flying to Red Rocks for, you know sold out shows yeah. at Red Rocks the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the That's epic, best. man. That's so, uh, that's so grass. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what you been listening to anything, uh, cool recently? Man. Uh, uh, so recently there's kind of this, uh, 
there's this really cool recording. It's like a compilation of different shows that uh, Bill Monroe did with uh, Doc Watson. It's just duet stuff. Uh, Is it new? Or the, uh, a new release? Me? I mean, I don't think it's super new, but it's it's not really anything I'd ever heard before. But it's just it's just Bill and Doc, man. And then, man, Jared Walker hit me to this album maybe last year, and I'm still listening to it. Uh, it's called The Kitchen Tapes. Oh, and it's, the Fred Allen and yeah, um, Frank. Red, Red Allen Red and Allen. Frank Wakefield. Yeah. so good it's uh yeah just really neat playing frank kind of at his uh you know at his peak playing i think just playing cool idea after cool idea and it's kind of like it's like comical and like rock and roll and soulful all at the same time it's baby, just really baby crying in the background on a couple tracks yeah yeah <laughs> that's so awesome man i, I yeah. love that i think I think that was Grisman on a reel to reel recording that in the kitchen. I'm pretty sure it was, man. I'm pretty sure uh I'm pretty sure it was, which is really cool. But uh just some really great man on playing on that album and uh I've really been digging. I like to hear the sound of just a guitar and mandolin together, that kind of classic duo sound. And it's got that, you know, it's a, that rough around the edges soulful like that's just what they did, you know? It's like, yeah, man, for sure. And it, I mean, sometimes it, uh, something I really dig about that, like Monroe and, uh, and Frank in particular, there's almost like a psychedelic aspect to their playing, man. Dude, I, years ago, I made a comparison to Jimi Hendrix and Bill Monroe on the Mandolin Cafe, and it was like a huge thread because I was yeah. like, those two, you would never think it, but those guys, the thing they have in common is they went for it every time mm -hmm. in hit or miss man it didn't matter they were going for it and when they hit it was like magical like from out of nowhere just like whoa you know these moments of, yeah yeah like tapped into something that just you know yeah some interdimensional stuff that they're just kind of like hitting on real quick <laughs> yeah i'm guessing hendrix was on some different uh got his inspiration maybe somewhere else than bill did but <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe so. was the same <laughs> <laughs> totally but uh it's very cool and uh that's kind of what i've been into these days nice got any fiddle tunes you're working on or that you like playing when you pick up that mandolin fiddle tunes there's this great song uh that banjo player uh george guthrie in the Wooks uh turned me on to called uh richmond and i think he learned it from the fiddler nate leaf going down to richmond have a little fun next time i go there won't forget my gun Someone tried to kill me over on the hill Cause I'm mad about the money in my grandpa's will uh, He cut it on one of his records And uh it's kind of just like this crooked old time tune. And uh, that's one that I've been really getting into a lot, you know, playing this song, Richmond. That's great, man. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm trying to learn more tunes, more old time stuff in particular. I really like the, the kind of crooked tunes. Yeah. And they, they all seem to lend themselves a little bit to that, um, to that more, like you're talking about, it's like, it's, I don't want to say less precise because there's precise parts, but the mandolin, you, you really have the ability to kind of play like double stops or it's not so choppy all the time. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like a little bit more open and got a different feel to it. Yeah, for sure. Great um, stuff. 
I've also been trying to just like play mandolin and sing, like like figuring out how to really just back up my voice with a mandolin. Yeah, and For sure. uh, yeah, figuring out more kind of rhythm patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, that's killer, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I have two more questions for you here. And right. um, first off, just want to thank you for doing this. This has been awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. It was like a pleasure to meet you and, and get to see you play so many times. I mean, that was the uh, killer thing about IBMA was getting to see so many great mandolin players and, and, and people I've had on the podcast I've never met yet in person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. that's awesome, man. Yes, yeah, likewise, it was great to meet you. And uh, you're the one that hit me to that uh, the Andrew Marlin show. And uh, yeah, still kind of can't get over the way that lore sounded. Oh. It sounded wild as hell. Unbelievable. It, yeah, and he, he, let, he let me play it at the booth. Um, cool. I mean, just took it out. It was just like, oh, man, you haven't, you haven't ever gotten to play this, huh? I'm like, uh, oh what? <laughs> and it sounds, I mean, I was like, I even sound good on this thing. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and that's not always the case with lures, you know, not all of them. Yeah. Not all of them. Uh, I think sound, well, this one's been played. I think that also helps. He plays that plays it a bunch. It's like a main act. So that definitely yeah. shakes the dust off, but sure. So the first question I have for you, if you could only work on something for 10 minutes a day for the next week, or had something to recommend for somebody, what would you, what would you work on and or recommend? Uh, honestly, uh, I think one of the best things to do is, is, uh, either play with a metronome and play way slower than you're comfortable with or play faster than you're comfortable with. Don't play at a comfortable speed, <laughs> <laughs> right. get out of your yeah. comfort zone a little bit. Um, and then, Man, some when, when I when I get up to gumption to do it, I'm not always great about it. But uh, really, just trying to transcribe a solo that you're into or learn a new tune, it doesn't take super long, you know. I, uh, I think the last thing I transcribed was a Sambush solo, and it just took me like, you know, it, I, I use that uh, that app, the Incredible Slowdowner, the Amazing Slowdowner, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, such such a great uh, shortcut. It's and, crazy, uh, man. Yeah, it just like learning someone else's solo will kind of help you unlock uh, new territory. Yeah, the tools to do it are like right there on your phone or an mm -hmm. iPad or your computer. Like, you know, when I interviewed Rick Ferris, he learned those special consensus songs on a cassette tape <laughs> or a CD player. <laughs> I mean, like a CD player, and it's just like rewind and rewind. Or it's like, oh my gosh, man! You know, That's now so you awesome. can loop stuff, you can slow it down. You can, yeah. Oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go out there and do it. There's never been a better time to learn uh, note for note uh, solos on a mandolin. Exactly, and um, and then the last question, man, is though you're no longer you're 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 one year not drinking right now, but yeah. did you have a favorite beer? Uh, man, I really got into uh, this beer from uh, Deschutes called a uh, Fresh Squeezed IPA, and I think you can kind of get them just about anywhere now. I think they opened up a brewery and. Uh, in Roanoke now, and that you used to could only get them out west. Oh wow! But uh, yeah, have you ever had the shoots? Nope, but I'm writing it down. Yeah, and uh, the shoots fresh squeezed IPA. I had one. I think it was in uh, it was I was out visiting some buddies in uh, Austin, Texas, probably five or six years ago, and I had one. And uh, it's just such a refreshing IPA. It's not too heavy, not too hazy. But it's still nice and hoppy, and uh, it's kind of like refreshing on a hot day. That beer is is uh, so good. Yeah, sweet, man. I have plenty of hot days uh, down here, so yeah. <laughs> always nice to check a new one out. Absolutely, yeah. Well, man, if anybody's listening to this and you aren't familiar with the Wooks, go see them. You have a few more shows left uh, on the books for this year. Do you know whereabouts those are? Yeah, so uh, actually this weekend we're going out to uh, – we're going out to Virginia. Our first show is going to be on a Friday. We're playing Farmerville, Virginia at North Street Press. And then we're playing a, a private party. And then uh, next week, we're going to be in, uh, we're going to be in Kentucky and uh, Newport, Kentucky at Southgate House on uh, the 28th. And then on the 30th, we're going to be playing in Lexington, Kentucky at the Burl. So there you go. Yeah. Well, this will air this week here. So we'll uh 
go out there and if you're in those areas go see them the new album's coming out soon where can everybody find you on the internet on the internet you can uh follow me on the instagrams uh harry formby clark or on facebook harry formby clark and uh you know the Wooks have music on Spotify. Also, you can find the 432 Sessions album on Spotify. You can find Maddie Denton's album or Rick Ferris's album on Spotify or iTunes. Or you can find those people online and give them some money and get your own hard copy of an album. Uh, I'm sure they'd all appreciate that. And then, That's uh, right, buddy. And then when, uh, you know, if uh, the internet ever goes away, at least you'll have that sweet hard copy of your favorite bluegrass CD. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Harry, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was uh this is an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Daniel, thanks for having me, man. Uh good talking to you. Same here. All right, thanks y'all for listening. Thank you to Harry for doing the podcast. Be sure to go check out the Wooks Live if you get a chance. Go check out their albums. If you want to find out what songs were sampled, you can go to Mandolin's of Beer and you can see which songs from which albums, and they're also in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you to my sponsors. Have a great week. Cheers, everybody.